Hello, and welcome to Everything Trying to Kill You, the podcast that watches all your favorite horror movies, then peppers trenchant analysis with a bunch of <laughs> dumbheaded jokes. Uh, I'm Mary. I'm Mary Kay. I'm Rachel. And this episode is about Bill Gunn's Ganja and Hess, which is a fascinating, experimental, and very sexy movie. It's also one of the only two films to star, star uh, Mr. Dwayne Jones, who you might remember from fogging up your glasses while you watched Night of the Living Dead. Oh, yes. Yes, indeed. <laughs> and yeah, so if you've never seen this, uh, it's currently available on Shudder if you want to go check it out before yeah, hop on with us. In fact, they're featuring it right now because, you know, um, it's Black History Month and Valentine's Day just happened. And this is a, a deeply upsetting romance between two black vampires. So, and that's not a spoiler. Okay, that's the basic description of the movie. But we are going to spoil it. <laughs> Everything. Yeah. So, uh, if you haven't seen it, go check it out. It's not especially long. Uh, and it's a really fascinating watch. If you need to, pause us now, go check it out, and then come back when you're done. If you choose to continue listening, um, Godspeed. <laughs> so, also, while we have you, just... You know, we, we haven't been doing this as consistently as we once did. Just to remind you, though, that if you are a frequent listener and you want to help support the show, first of all, we have merch now. Yes, we do. Can, and it is beautiful. You can get our dope logo on like a hoodie or like uh, one of those fancy coffee travel mugs. Yeah, for whenever or... you go places again, you can have it mm -hmm. your coffee to go with you. You can have it to stay home with you. If you're never going anywhere again, you can get it on a normal mug. <laughs> yeah. So, like, no matter what, we've got you. Yeah, so our dope new logo um, on some really cool merchandise. Uh, Mary Kay wrote a book. I don't know if we've ever mentioned it to you before. <laughs> <laughs> That's the one thing I do feel like I am constantly being like, hey, did you buy my book? Did you tell two friends about it? Okay. I feel like that's just become part of our sign off at this point. Like, <laughs> yeah. thanks for listening. Buy, buy my book. Buy my book. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about it. Make sure everyone knows where to find it, please. So and thank you. So you can find it at any major retailer. It is called America's First Female Serial Killer. It's about Jane Toppin and how we made a monster. We also have links to it in our show notes. And if you, another way you can support the show is that we have a bookshop affiliate page. So any book that we mention on the show is linked there. If you, if you buy it through bookshop not only does it support whatever local and independent bookstore you want to support but it also we get a little bit of kickback from it so you can buy my book there if you need it signed just slide into my dms because we can hook it up there is also as far as supporting the show ye old tried and true method of rate review and subscribe all of this is very much appreciated by your grateful hosts. Yes. Let's rock. Let's rock. Let's rock today. Ganja and Hess. Yes. Also, I wanted to tell you, I recently watched, I, I've been, I was I was horribly sick. I, I think I mentioned this last episode for a couple of weeks here. So I was watching a lot of documentaries because it's nice to have fever dreams about reality. It makes it like the, the horrors of reality go into like technicolor. It's really mm -hmm. fascinating. Anyway, I was watching something about, like, serial killers and the evolution of our, like, understanding of them and how, like, there were plenty of people who were serial killers before we called it that. Right. You know, anyway. Yes. And for the first time in all of the documentaries about serial killers I've watched, they brought up Jane. Oh, shit. What did they say? Well, she was first listed in one episode that was not really about 
thematic material relevant to her, they still mentioned her as like, in contrast to killers like blah, 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 Jane, who killed in this manner or had this kind of background there, this, this other batch of, of people, right? Mm-hmm. And then, but then there was an episode where they talked about, I can't remember if it was specifically about women or if they were talking about like women who kill or if they were talking about like Angel of Mercy and how, mm-hmm. how much more common it is for women who are serial killers to align with that kind of mo I don't know. It's not a motif type sort I MO, mm, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, MO is yeah. best. And they talked about her at some length. They I don't I didn't knowing as much as I know about her now through you, I was like, I don't I don't feel like you hit all the right points in the right order here. I didn't they, feel that way either. That's why I wrote the damn book. I feel like every time I've heard about her, it's been like Oh, yes, she was rotten from the start. And it's like, well, well I just feel like there's more. So they, they were describing her as a bad seed. They also said she had a horribly traumatic childhood. They describe, they did not present any information to back up that assessment. Mm-hmm. They were just like, she had a horribly traumatic childhood. I think the only thing they brought up was that she had a broken engagement. And I was like, you're kind of making it sound like mm-hmm. anytime a woman gets dumped, she Y'all better will discover, watch out. She will discover <laughs> the girls. murderer within <laughs> yeah. and go rampaging. Because, yeah, they, they were using the word bad seat. And I was like, how are Because, like, yeah, I was like, yeah, Jane Topin, which they kept saying, Topin. Jane Topin, traumatic childhood, heartbreak. She was always a bad seed. And I was like, wait, wh- what? I feel like that contradicts the stuff. You were just giving all this context that makes it seem like, like she was driven to madness, and now you're like, hmm. right, fate. Yeah, I had I took issues with that too. Uh, all of what everything you just said seconded. So everyone, you need to go tell two friends, and they'll tell two friends, and mm. then if you get enough people to buy. Maybe one day we can have prizes, and then the more people that you tell and get to buy, the better the prizes will be. And then maybe mm-hmm. you could go on this grand vacation. Who knows? I'm just, I'm just. And then we can you're get really, whatever you want tattooed on our ass. You're making, <laughs> and you're be making the number one prize. <laughs> you're making this sound like Lula Roe, which okay. I'm here for it. We are now in MLM. Is Listen, that they made in? us do it with chocolate bars when we were children, so I call it like retribution, maybe even yeah. Robin Hood. That chocolate for sold a good itself, cause. though. It's tasty. It was so good. We had the we had those lollipops, and man, they all tasted the same, but we did not <laughs> believe that. We we were insistent that they were very different. I liked the strawberry cheesecake ones, but now mm. I'm pretty sure they all tasted exactly. So, the Mary Kay, are you down with us making a uh, pyramid scheme for your book? Yeah, man. Let's do it. Awesome. Well, with regard to Ganja and Hess, I have an icebreaker for us. All right. Okay. So if you were cooking dinner for the dude you just started sleeping with, because when you came looking for your husband, he'd vanished and you apparently don't care about that. (laughs) What would you cook? Well, I have an answer because I feel like you kind of answered part of the question that was in there, which is I would not be cooking because (laughs) my husband vanished and what the fuck. Also, my dear friend Wendy Bell told me a long time ago. 
that you do not cook for a man the first six months that you know him because he might just be coming around for the food. That's... So, which I feel like is pretty good advice. Wendy does give sage advice. Also, six months sounds like an incredibly long time. Like It does I get... until you get to eat out for six months, and then it yeah. seems like a really short amount I mean, like, of time. I get hungry. Also, sometimes I want to eat this thing I know how to make that like I can't get elsewhere. Like, yeah. Like, I I've like my cooking. I've heard that in the same regards that you don't cook for X amount of time, is that you don't start off with, like, giving them the... The, the good shit. The wife material shit. Mm-hmm. Are you when, talking about anal sex, Rachel? How did you know? <laughs> I thought that was the thing that you stopped doing once you were married because you never really wanted to do it. <laughs> no, that's not... Okay. I was talking about um, the food. Mary but. Kay has been having a ton of anal... Se- Mary Kay has been having exclusively anal sex in her effort to catch a man. But like, I haven't just... been cooking. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> she is... She's eating fine cuisine prepared by. I make not it for her. myself, and then I flush the leftovers down the toilet. <laughs> oh my god! Just kidding! I would never do that. I am leftovers queen. I will mix the oh, yeah. leftover shit into a new dish. That's how invested mm-hmm. I am in leftovers. Oh yeah. Um, okay. I eat my leftovers cold, like a oh yeah. Barbarian. I do that too, especially yeah. if it's yeah. like pasta or something. Oh that yeah. Even when it reheats, it won't taste the same. So yeah, I, there's so many things that are delicious cold. Like Not pizza, noodles. but other things. Mm. Mm, yeah. Yeah, like um, leftover cold pad thai. Oh. Just as good as hot pad thai. Yeah. Like, because what it has you? egg in it. It's basically breakfast. That's what I had for breakfast today. I <laughs> love that about you. Um, okay, so if I was cooking dinner, I'm going to rephrase it for something that I'd actually do so that I can have okay. an actual answer. Okay. If, okay. So, remember in Parks and Rec, when Anna's like, can you come fix my shower? I will cook you a cheap, quick dinner that will be no trouble at all for me. Yeah. Um, So, that cheap, quick dinner that would be no trouble at all for me is probably going to be, like, Lebanese-style green beans with chunks of sirloin in it and maybe, like, Mm -hmm. the fatayis Mm -hmm. that I make. Um, Yeah. All of this shit is from cans, but it does not taste that way. Yeah. Send the recipe. Oh, it's easy, girl. I mean, that's the thing about stew, right? Is like, so <laughs> this kind of leads to my answer. This kind of this kind of leads to my answer then, which okay. is that um, I have always been fascinated by that episode of Thirty Rock, where Liz decides that an appropriate first Valentine's date meal to cook for John fucking Ham yes. is stew. <laughs> It's but. such it's it's one of these like it's one of these like low key jokes that like it no one laughs at it in the context of the show. So it kind of takes you a minute to be like, wait, oh my god, Liz, you dumb fuck. Okay, also, like, but that, that is the she joke. Replaced, she replaced she replaced the this water chicken stock yes with cheddar. She replaced cheese. the water with cheddar cheese. <laughs> so not only is it stew, which is already like. A weirdly Very like heavy sexy. and intense, yeah. Like it, it, it's gonna sit heavy in your stomach. It's not sexy to like watch each other eat it. Like, what are you thinking? Um, though it is easy. Are we gonna include all of these recipes in our show notes? I kind of feel like we should. I, well, I don't know about show notes. I was thinking we can we can just put them on Instagram. Oh, okay. That means I have to cook it. 
No, I mean like write it down and put a screenshot of your notes app like oh. you're a celebrity apologizing for something. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, I'll so, do that and I'll send it to you first, Rachel. Yeah. So I've bad. always I've always been mystified um, by like that joke is just very very good to me, and uh, I've always like kind of wanted to try it. Like, what if you do this? Like, would you? destroy both two buttholes and a budding relationship with one meal. And considering that this dude murdered my husband, or maybe I don't know that yet, but still like my husband's missing and he doesn't seem pressed about it either. Then like, maybe this is the guy to try that on. I would probably feel more strongly about that if it weren't Dwayne Jones, who I definitely would not want to like, drive away yeah i think this is the time to try out that particularly risky date recipe stew in which all liquid is replaced with cheddar cheese what about you rachel so i went in the opposite way and i chose my cornbread recipe Mm. because if i'm in the situation as described that i'm very apathetic about my disappearing husband but if i were to not be apathetic there's nothing more comforting than cornbread. Like, Mm -hmm. is there anyone in this world who doesn't love a really good cornbread? So like, if at the same time, I need the comfort, at the same time, like, this person is going, I don't know, this is gonna, I don't know. Well, at this point, at that point in the movie, she does not, when she first, when she commits to the meal, she doesn't know. What happened to her husband? Yeah, yet. she doesn't end also, up cooking it, so. No, she does not. No, she, Archie cooked. So, also, I, I do think, or rather, and a, a lot of the, a lot of points in this movie, there's something that is implied or, like, easy to buy, but also, like, yeah. if someone were to tell you the exact opposite is true, you could be like, I, that makes sense, too. <laughs> but I believe that the, the kind of the commonly held belief about um, the relationship between ganja and uh george is actually estranged like he they were already living separately Mm -hmm. so which could explain some of her lackadaisical approach like i'm coming to see him also amsterdam why was she there yeah like like i said i i think that the commonly held belief is that they're not like actually like they're still legally married but they're not like together together Mm -hmm. Which makes a little bit more makes it a little bit more sensible than that when she gets there and he's not there, she's like, I don't really care that much. And immediately starts sleeping with Dwayne Jones because... Because it's Dwayne Jones. Yep. Oh, we're, I know yep. we're going to talk about him playing this role at length, so I'm just going to hold my comments till then, but I do have some. My favorite, my favorite thing is that after this movie, right, he, um, he ended up just kind of like going his own way, doing his thing. He was teaching. He was a, he was a professor. He's a theater professor. And he didn't talk about, he's only, he was only in these, starting these two movies. So even though both of them are now these like seminal mm-hmm. culty things, um, he didn't discuss it with people in his day-to-day life. Like it wasn't super relevant to most of his day-to-day life. Mm-hmm. So his students would like find out, like they'd go to a midnight showing of Night of the Living Dead and then go to class the next day and be like, yo. <laughs> and he was like, and he was like, oh yeah, I did that. 
That's the way to be, though, because if you talk about it all the time, everybody's going to be like, okay, you one-trick pony, even if you've done, like, a thousand things, you know? Yeah. Well, and this this movie is kind of like a double grief there in that, you know, obviously Dwayne Jones passed very, very young uh, of heart failure, but um, so did did Gunn, Mm. Bill Gunn, who directed, wrote, directed, and also starred in this movie. Marlene Clark, uh, the woman who played Ganja, described like being on set and how people responded to Bill Gunn. Like he, he knew what he was doing with this. Mm-hmm. This movie turned out the way he wanted it to. Like that was the intent here. And she said that the cast and crew, first of all, it was a really diverse cast and crew for Hollywood at the time. Mm-hmm. And secondly, that he just inspired this kind of like passion and commitment in people. That everyone was such a like unified, like committed and excited team on this. Because he, his vision for what this was going to be was so clear and everyone understood it. And so when this movie came out, right? So there's the opening night party and she was, you know, brand new to all this world. And she, as the star of the movie, she was getting so much attention. She had this very like glamorous and thrilling night. And then the next day, all the reviews came out and critics were just like, no. Um, and she was like, I just, I, it didn't shock me. I was like, oh, of course they don't get it. And she said that, wrote it, I made sure to, quote her you know so it was mm-hmm. c- correct here many critics believe that black people make very straightforward literal movies so bill was really an enigma to them they just did not understand what he had done and many people involved with the movie over the years have said that had had this exact thing been made by a white director mm-hmm. it would have been art film it would have been experimental it would have been well received and well, it, in it, years since it has been and well at received. the time it it land it was premiered at at con yeah mm-hmm. so i mean it was just america that was like um actually you're black so so yeah so you don't make art films so this can't be an art like I don't believe you make art films. So even though you have made an art film, that can't be what this is. And if it's not an art film, then I'm going to look at it through the lens of a traditional narrative film, in which case it's bad. Yeah. And it's not a traditional narrative film. And for that reason, I could tell that I was not its target audience. So I, mm-hmm. it didn't like resonate with me the way that a really story heavy film does. But I right. still respect the hell out of it. Like, it is very good. It just isn't, it's not my favorite. You know, and I think there's, that's an important distinction to make. Oh, yeah. Um, and I think we've, we've watched other stuff that I was, well, even something like The Eyes of My Mother, I was like, there is a lot to praise here. Yeah. I want to burn my eyes out of my skull. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the exact opposite about. There is some about... incredible artistry happening here. Yeah. So, also, it's fun to like bad things too, like The Mummy. I know that that movie is like a summer blockbuster, trashy, cheap. I don't care. I love it. Like Me too. I adore well, I also, that movie. So I mean, why, who doesn't wait? <clears throat> mm, if anyone tries to make you feel bad about that, you should tell me. I'll set them on fire. Cool. Okay. Thanks. Um, but I mean, just to I just. I didn't want our listeners to think that I didn't think the movie was good because I do think it's good. It just, I didn't like it very much personally. Guys, guys, she's not insufferable. She's just a human (laughs) being with opinions. Right. There's, like you said, a lot of stuff to like about this movie. I respected it because it did 
I mean, we just talked about the love witch, right? Which was, I mean, as I was watching this, I was like, oh, this is what the love witch tried to do kind of retroactively. Like they wanted the mm-hmm. hard lighting and the, the nuance. Yeah, yeah, that, that style, yeah. Yeah, it's very, they're very stylistically similar, but this one is so much better to me. I mean, I know it's it's like, why do you need to compare them? I don't. It's just that we watch them back to back. Right. So right. I was kind of <laughs> And that's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But and, um, with the... Go ahead, Rachel. With the Love Witch, I feel like it's a little bit more flashy in your face because mm-hmm. in the last episode, mm-hmm. I was saying that when I, I I didn't get it until then I'm like, oh, I think it's like a joke. It's like, it's not just, you know, paying homage. It's, it's kind of poking fun at, you know, mm-hmm. how the old, you know, 60s, 70s movies, they kind of just don't hold up anymore and they're kind of, funny they look kind of funny well, I don't think, know how like, else to say and yeah well think but, about the conversations we had about Wicker Man if you listen to that episode right. I'm like I loved this movie it like it upset me there was so much happening also I made fun of that movie more than just about anything else we've talked well, about well right but I, I'm, I'm just saying in response to mm-hmm. how this one looked it's because it's just in its natural element being in the time frame mm-hmm. that it was wicker man that was actually like low-key fucking funny <laughs> yeah it was, funny. It was like They're popping out of bushes with these like weirdo yeah. masks come on yeah that's it was funny. like i'm he's like i'm a i'm a detective i'm gonna go to this place and detect shit and we were like you're bad at this you're the worst detective i've ever seen and i've watched the law and orders that aren't svu or the original <laughs> I was going to say, too, to your point, Rachel, like some of what makes these kind of throwback movies for like either curated throwback or actual throwback, some of what I think makes them funny is now is that those things worked so well then that now they're a cliche. Like They weren't at all when they came out and so now it's just kind of like being aware of like this was the cutting edge shit and then they mm-hmm. wore that shit out oh yeah 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 oh, so yeah. i think that that's part of it like and this one this one to me didn't like the only p- funny parts of it to me were ganja being like flexing for no reason at all yeah there's no reason for you to be cussing him out over the phone he is literally sending a limo to come pick you up because you look valuable bitch you just said you had no money like you just said that um anyway i mean to be fair the first time she calls doesn't he just say like george isn't here and hang up on her I don't remember. I'm sure she you're calls. right. I'm pretty sure she calls. I, I, I'd have to mm-hmm. double check oh, yeah. myself. She's so like, where's, this... my, where's George? She's like, not here. Like, right. Yeah, I do remember um, that So that, that does prompt some of the cussing, I think. But yeah, so that that's a I, that was something I ran into a lot, like reflecting on this movie. This movie is very deliberately cloudy in, it, in its timeline mm-hmm. or order of events. Um, there are moments that like I don't believe happened like literally, like I think that yeah. was like a more of like a dream or hallucination sequence. But one of you could absolutely convince me otherwise. So it's easy to have moments like that where you were like, "Yeah, like why was she cussing about over the phone?" And then when I'm like, "Well, the second time she called," you're like, "Oh," because I was doing that to myself, writing yeah. the outline. Like I'd have to go back and like delete something because I was like, "Oh wait, I know the answer to my own question. I'm a fucking idiot. I just wasn't." thinking of the story in those terms at that moment. And, you know, we usually start with the question, is it scary? And we've kind of 
I wouldn't say like barreled past that more so as that like I feel like we've kind of answered that question obliquely in the mm-hmm. way we're talking about it. Like Mary Kay, Rachel, was this scary for you guys? No. Mm-mm. Also no. But I was thinking of so as I was looking at the outline while I was watching, I was kind of asking myself, but is it only not scary because it doesn't hold up? Not that it doesn't hold up, just in the way that I never the only time I'll ever watch an older movie like like this is with with you guys because I can never seem to have any interest because visually it, I just can't seem yeah. to relate and so they just seem like it's you know, a pretty common I think it's a pretty common experience like oh okay so I've, like I've no yeah yeah that's not you're not like it's not you <laughs> it's I, just things age <laughs> yeah age. and I've, I've had plenty of people like when I'm talking about that they're like oh what did you do what's your last episode about like when we did Wicker Man mm-hmm. I had plenty of folks who were like yeah like how did you even talk about that like it's right. I watched it and I just couldn't I couldn't even I couldn't take any of right. it seriously um, so I, I think that's a pretty but, natural response to watching something that like visually is just so far removed from what right. But what then, storytelling looks like for you. Yeah. But then as I was watching, it was during the scene where Ganja was seducing that other young man. Mm-hmm. And I was like, so if I'm sitting there in the 70s <laughs> watching this, Knowing that this could be what was that movie? Oh, God, what was that movie? The really sexy Korean vampire movie. Thirst. Thirst. I was like, oh, if this is gonna be like thirst, and I know she's gonna go on a rampage, could this be scary? And I was like, no, because I don't think that was what their vision was. I think it wasn't meant to be like really horror. I don't think it's meant to be scary. I think it is this kind of I don't know what you were kind of saying, Mary Kate, like kind of poetry. It's not cut and dry it's not things aren't sealed in a nice clean box it's very well i think it's i think it's horror in the way that like the hunger was horror you know like there are horror themes there are horrific elements there's but like you say like the execution is not like things jump out at me and i get frightened the execution is visual poetry so i i feel you on that like i i definitely i certainly didn't feel like frightened watching it there were moments that i like my heart rate got up a little bit like when that couple jumped him in the apartment yeah i was like because that that was the first moment that i was really that like hallway oh. fight scene i was like oh okay that that I was the first that. time that i really kind of like it clicked for me that i was like because i caught myself thinking like no he's not that kind of vampire stop attacking him because maybe he won't die if they attack him but he can't necessarily, he's not like super powered. He doesn't right. have massive strength. Like he's not like throwing them against walls. He's still just a dude who happens to need to drink blood. Yeah. So even if like, maybe they, they could take him down, you know, like maybe he'll keep getting up eventually. You could just like get into a weird loop where they just like keep like beating him up or they could just drive him off and dump him somewhere before he's healed up or whatever, you know, like he's still in danger. And in so many vampire movies, that's like not a fucking thing because the vampire yeah. is super powered. 
Well, I think also the convention of this vampirism is somewhat different from what we think of when we think of vampires. To your point, like there's no superpowers. He can be in the daytime. It it really is just that he has an, a blood addiction. That really is pretty much it from from how I am seeing it. Um, yeah, yeah. I I did think for that reason, like the addiction is scary, of course, because it's like your own mind betraying you. And I think that this movie is very very ahead of its time in portraying it that way. Yeah. So the the the, the bankroll here expected uh, Gunn to make like a black exploitation vampire movie, and Bill Gunn was like. I'm going to make an art house film about addiction and religion mm-hmm. and blackness. And so they weren't super thrilled with what he did. They actually recut this. Yeah. They renamed it too. And, right? and yeah. And renamed it and re-released it. And basically everyone involved with the original just took their name off the project. Cause they were like, that's not, that's not the movie. Not what? what? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wait, wait, so, tell me more. I mean, that's, I don't know how much more there is to say. Basically, like I said, the, the studio executives, blah, 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 powers that be, um, expected a pretty straightforward, like, black exploitation horror movie about vampires, and they got this. Mm. So the initial release, like I said, especially because while it premiered at, at Con and, um, you know, was very clearly. this version premiered at Con. This, yes, this. Yeah. And then they were like, no, that won't work. With That's not what we paid for. We're going to make this what we want it. First of all, it wasn't what they asked for. Secondly, they had the extra momentum of critics in the States being so non-receptive to it. So they recut it to, they, they cut a lot of the footage that existed. They put back in some that had been cut. It was still shorter than the movie we've, we've watched. They called it... The Blood Couple. The Blood Couple, which is like... I wish y'all could see Rachel's emoji face right now. Not as good of a <laughs> name as... all the way frown. Just not <laughs> as good of a name. So anyway, that wasn't well received. And again, like Bill Gunn, like any number of people involved with the project were like, I don't want my name associated with that. So I have a question. Yeah. And, and it comes from, I think, me misreading or someone misrepresenting this film in its preserved edition as black exploitation because when I watched it I was like this does not seem like that no. to me at all no. but I also realized at that point that I didn't really know what qualified something as black exploitation I assumed because of the portmanteau it is the exploitation of black people right and it's an interesting so you, you it kind of you, you come to an interesting dilemma here, and in that a lot of black exploitation films are made by black people. Um, so the question of exploitation becomes really fuzzy. Like, is it exploitation sure. if I take your prejudices about me and punch them up to eleven, so that you will give me money to watch what I'm doing? Like, um, yes and no. Exactly. Like it's both. It is, it, it is. Yeah. Like it, it, in some ways you, I feel like there's a certain amount of dice roll there, right? Like, are you going to get more benefit or 
are you going to get more of an exacerbation of the problems that already exist when mm. doing this, right? I, yeah. um, I've heard and, it compared to a minstrel show, but in a later century. Where it's like, I think it is money off of it, but also I'd I think it's all definitely much more complicated than that because I think it was also okay. a, a venue for a lot of filmmakers and performers to to tell to tell one's own story. Like you've got something like Sweet Sweetback's badass song, right? Um, and uh, that's a this is like this which incorporates like black power mm-hmm. ideology really like profoundly. So there's. There are there are much more like complicated or much more like socially challenging themes present in okay. um, like a lot of these stories are set in like poor urban neighborhoods and the, your lead characters are trying to navigate the actual social crises of their time. You mm-hmm. have stories set in the South that focus on slavery, Jim Crow, miscegenation. So as opposed to a minstrel show, the the it's more real. Yeah, there, there's, there's definitely much more um, deliberate confrontation okay. with, with the oppressor, and the oppressor being portrayed as such. These are some of the first movies in which the leads are black, and the criminals, the bad guys, the sidekicks, mm-hmm. are the white people. These are movies in which, uh, I mean, you both have, you have both like horrific misogyny, where you have like the hero of the story is a pimp who is abusive to his prostitutes. You also have Foxy Brown and which like, okay, you know, you have like just about the most badass woman who's ever been on a, on a screen, you know, it's a, it's a, yeah. Yeah. So Foxy Brown, Blackula, sweet, sweet back. Like there's a number of these movies that are just, you to super flat, like to watch them now. You're like, Oh God. Like that's, like I this can is, understand is, that that's a joke, but it's not funny to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like there's there's something about I think watching okay. it it now with so much more cultural consciousness, it's a lot. E- mm-hmm. I think there's it's easy to have that kind of like, I yeah that exactly yeah I I I don't want to I don't want to laugh at that, but you still get to have a lot of those moments of like triumph and like yes fuck yes mm-hmm. when something goes the character's way. So it's it's a really you're it's not. I don't think, I don't know that there's any like one thing and you can go back and forth with people about any number of films as to whether they meet that, that designation of of black exploitation. Um, I do think no one. seems like what you, what you're saying goes with what Rachel was saying about it being period specific Mm -hmm. because I mean, I mean, we, I think, I think we were talking about it on here where one of us was watching a movie from like the early 2000s and being like um what that's not what and just being like horrified and remembering when it came out and how funny it was and like now it's not at all oh yeah so many of those like i don't i don't think i'll ever rewatch an adam sandler movie at this point yeah. because i enjoyed them at the time and i don't want to hate my younger self that much yeah. And I'm pretty sure I will. So there's that. But yeah, thank you for um, <laughs> explaining that a little bit more because I I have seen those movies that you mentioned and recognized them as falling into that category, but this one did not to me and it made 
and it made me wonder if I had misunderstood or if um, I just misunderstood that this movie was supposed to be that. No, this so. is not supposed to be that. That was not what okay. Gunn was doing. I think right. it is often okay. often represented that way because it stars black folks. It's in the right time period and there's plenty of blood and excitement. Yeah, so speaking of blood, mm. there's one practical effect that was pretty gnarly and that was when he... Like, cut, I think the woman's, no, it was George's throat on the floor of the bathroom. And it was just, I mean, the blood did not look real. But it was still just, like, coming out of his neck with the heartbeat. I think that's the guy in the apartment that attacks him, I think. Okay, it might be. I, I don't know. I remember him. I know, I remember the after. shot you're talking about exactly. Because yeah. I remember also having that moment of like. Uh, it, it gave me the same kind of as as um, the spinal tap in The Exorcist. Mm-mm. Where yeah. it's like, it's such a, pract- it, it's the practical effects we know that hold up. Like yeah. The special yeah. effects, we, they're just being developed so it's such a good a pace that they don't usually, but also well, that that point. It's speaking of things that hold up and how film has changed. When there was that close up on his skin and like the color that it shows on the screen versus what you see now, like when you watch like HBO's like Insecure, like mm-hmm. how they film like black skin totally. now. Like, I'd even, I never would have known if she hadn't talked about, Issa Rae hadn't talked about, like, the science behind it. Yeah, the entire science of how to film humans on camera is built on the baseline of white skin. And, like, like the entirety of, like, how color works, how light works, every, like, there is a lot that goes into making someone actually look like a human being on camera, and it's all based on white skin. Nobody knew how to do it until they took the time to figure it out. Right. And on a movie with this budget, that wasn't that was also that, that it was also that a long time ago. Yeah, it wasn't the the priority exactly here. Right. But but yeah, no. And now talks everyone's about that skin on Insecure looks just right. dewy and fantastic. And I th- I just think that Lovecraft was, Country. We're yeah. like spoiled mm-hmm. in the way that that's what we're used to so when i was looking like at this now i was like oh god <laughs> does everyone need moisturizer no it's the lighting yeah. <laughs> yeah. uh for sure we're talking about vampires here and vampirism as you said mary Kay, in this movie is it's kind of a whole well i guess very literally a whole new beast than vampirism in so many other movies. I mean, like you said, we pretty recently talked about Thirst. We've done any number of vampire stories on the show before now. So I'd love if we could uh, just take a second and reflect on what the fuck is happening here and what makes Ganja and Orhes a vampire in the first place. Does it really just boil down to the blood drink? Like that's it. That's the whole. That's the whole thing. Do you mean like their their symptoms of being a vampire only comes down to drinking blood? Yeah, like I don't. Right. See, like, is there anything the else that you recognize as like other vampire lore? Other than the sexuality and mm-hmm. like 
you know, like seducing each other. But um, that's that's a real. I'm really glad that you brought that up because at some point in the film, I had that question. I'm like, well, if they're only drinking blood, how how do we know that they're not just out of their mind? How do we know that they're not just because George was talking about? I had these really schizophrenic thoughts. Like, what if this mm. was like a thing about? I don't know, mental illness or like mm-hmm. religion as a cult, you know, like the, yeah. the, the fetishization of blood, like the, mm. the way that some, and I'm not saying I, I grew up in a, the Christian environment. I understand it's symbolic, but the obsession with the blood. Yo, the music in this movie, first of all, like just, I, at any given moment, I was like, what am I hearing? This is incredible. It was yeah. used to I such like great I effect. Bill Withers and Bessie Smith and all of the revival songs. Like, it was mm-hmm. So it cool really stood out to me the second time around when I was like kind of prepared for watching since I knew what I was getting into. I was like, dear God, is every single church song yeah. the most disgusting thing you've ever yeah. heard in your life? Like... Every like, I'm gonna stand in a fountain of blood, yep. and that's what'll make me clean. No, bitch, you'll be covered in blood. <laughs> oh and my god, glitter, maybe. I don't uh, what like. Was, what's that one that? Oh, that's um, okay. There is one that slaps, like washed <laughs> by the blood, washed. Oh yeah, by, or something. How yeah, does yeah. it go? Oh there's god. So, I mean, there's. A ton. So I thought that was that was beautiful, like juxtaposition, because I I think something that that Gunn does here is um, to put in not opposition, but in coexistence, right? This Marithian religious tradition yeah. in which the blood drinking is mandatory. You will die if you don't do it. Um, and Christianity. Which, first of all, is a great, I think, metaphor for how, like, Black American Christianity has also absorbed and incorporated so many, um, like, uh, traditional religion religions for different ethnic groups that uh, were prevented from continuing to practice openly. And also, like, neither of them are bad. Like, the Merthians may be drinking blood, but, like, we've seen their queen. She looked chill as fuck. She was just like prancing through fields majestically. What kind she of like extending do you a think hand. What kind of what? I, they were the longest feathers in the history of the world. They're right? So they were beautiful. like so and she just like extending a peaceful hand and I didn't again like this is definitely the kind of thing that watching a couple times helps like oh wait, there's so much I didn't like process the first time. But it really stood out to me that like when when Hess is looking into, like, how they could end this if they wanted. And he says he's reading the guide to our destruction. And their destruction boils down to, if you believe in a religious tradition, like, if you believe in a god, and um, you believe that god to be good. That was specific, too. Mm-hmm. And it was, this god was destroyed by forces dangerous to the survival of love. And if that destructive implement casts a shadow on your heart, you'll 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 die. But then you'll be taken to like the bosom of the world. You'll sleep in her life. Like you won't be damned. Like having having been vampire doesn't it didn't kill your soul. You're not you're not damned. And you also didn't lose your religious like your this other religious tradition in the 
process. Right. And I was just like, what? Yeah, I love that. I really, because I am a narrative person, wanted that to have been the narrative all along, which would have made it a lot more like other vampire movies, but and a little less special, granted. But I do love that that convention was given to us at the end, especially because so much of vampirism that we see in pop culture is totally removed from mm-hmm. Christian... It's antagonistic to, to no. Christian, like no, right? I think in pop culture, it's just totally abandoned it. Mm. Uh, it's totally well, abandoned well, Christianity, I think of, and that's not the way that it started. It started as a distinct perversion of the the rite of sacrament, and that's what's happening here. And they're like, if if you believe hard enough in a god that is good, then you are no longer a monster. And that's just kind of the well, way that Christianity works all together. I also didn't think that it was necessarily that if you believe hard enough, you're not a monster. Cause I don't necessarily, I didn't get the impression that you were a monster for doing this in the first place. An entire civilization lived this way perpetually. Like this was their way of life. It was just that if you didn't want to live this way anymore, there was an alternative path you know like that this that figure of the queen was not she didn't seem malicious or fearsome to me she was like i said there was she was very like she seemed powerful and she seemed peaceful and i thought man like i i i think i think of of vampirism and christian christianity as antagonistic because the cross kills or scares at least right <laughs> vampires like they can't I mean, go in the churches it does in pop culture yeah. now not so much yeah, I guess that's that's kind of gone by the wayside. I loved the explanation here, though, that like the cross isn't going to kill them because it burns away evil. The cross kills them because the cross is the cross is itself, not the God, not the tradition. The cross itself is an implement of torture. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's the actual object of the cross that they see as like, no, that that's that's the thing that killed a loving like that's the source of of death to a loving God. That's why it kills you. And I was like, oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Oh my god. And so I also I appreciate that in this film as well to Mary Kay's point in the way that they they're they're innocent in this. This is something that mm-hmm. happened to them. You know, and if we're going to look at this in the lens of addiction as well, mm-hmm. it's you're not a monster. You didn't you didn't choose to become an addict things happen it's also physiological it's your environment there's a there's a a million things but Mm -hmm. it doesn't Mm -hmm. make you a monster um and there's an out there's there's alternatives there's for some people resources Mm. um and but that doesn't make you a monster so when he's there in that church and the when you think of vampires they're literally like usually demons or you know they're evil they're, damned they're soulless like you're already dead your soul is gone you're, you're yeah. damned and but the preacher said ain't no evil coming in here and i was surprised to see that he was in there mm-hmm. and i was like okay so then what what's really going and that's when i started thinking like well could he just be like 
crazy. And then it, it just, I see as it, that continued to play out. No, these aren't, these people aren't, they're, they're not evil. Like there's a different idea yeah. than what we have with vampires. Murder is evil. Period. Well, yeah. Okay. That's true. I, I don't, I I think that drinking other people's blood is a form of cannibalism and is also evil, period. So while the Mithrian or Murthian or how I don't even I've never heard of that culture. I don't know what it is. I'm sorry. It's 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 not it's fictional for it's fictional in the sake of the movie. So the movie begins from the premise that Hess is a, an anthropological right like expert who is studying this ancient culture. That's why that their their ritual knife is in his house. Right, and that is cursed, which is evil, which makes him that way. <laughs> so, so I he don't... might not be evil, but he is cursed with evil. And I think that's an important distinction, but mm. I don't I don't think that there's nothing wrong with the way that he's acting. There absolutely well, is. Oh, right. I don't I don't know about that. First of all, well, okay. I do think murdering other humans is an evil act. Don't do that, people. I'm not, like, just want to be clear. Not out here being like, murder it up. Like, that's not the thing. The, I don't know if the Murthians murdered people to drink. I don't know what their deal... Well, the thing that's that he never... got stabbed with that was from their culture made him do it. So I assumed that that was just kind of the way that they... Uh, that that happened uh, again, like you said, there's no convention established there. But right, like, I, I don't know what the I don't know what Murthian tradition for like how are you getting your blood would be. Um, in his case, I I also think too that that alienation of like this again, like Rachel was saying, this isn't. It's not like he was like, and I will convert to Murthianism. He got stabbed by uh, his assistant who was not super mentally healthy in that moment. And now he is against his will in this condition. So I was, I, I often wondered, like, it, how much, it, that is actually is a convention of vampire stories, right? Is that, like, if you are isolated as a vampire, the first thing, you, you make yourself a friend, right? Like, you make mm-hmm. your, you, you, you don't want to be alone. You make yourself somebody who can experience this with you, which he does pretty, pretty promptly. <laughs> pretty promptly. <laughs> and and he, we do see that, at least he tries at first, not to be just, like, killing he i mean to be fair he starts a fire at a doctor's office which doesn't seem safe either well he does that so he can steal (laughs) his steal blood so he can prevent the murder sort of like the guy in thirst which it's the it's the uh yeah it's the steal bread to feel your feed your families (laughs) like yeah which is the lesser i feel like of the of the bad things to do however that concept is much more interesting to me than anything that happens with ganja and if i was workshopping this script alone not anything else no one's performances just like if i was seeing it on paper i would be like let's just do it with the two guys and Mm -hmm. not worry about her character at all so that is the perfect segue to that question that I said I had when you were like, wait, I got to do my thing. And I'm super, super glad we went in this very elegant and sexy order because I don't know that Ganja and Hess are vampires in the same way. Like Hess's experience of this is addiction. Yeah. Ganja. Hers is sex, I think. It's like lust. I, I think for her it was empowerment like think about the story she tells about like her mother and her relationship to her mother 
like I, I hated my beauty. I had to look out for myself. Like I, I wasn't, I was no one, like I wasn't going to be loved. Like the person, the one person in the world who's supposed to love you was never going to love me. Mm-hmm. So I had to look out for myself and it reminded me of, I'm so glad you brought it up earlier, Rachel. It reminded me of thirst mm-hmm. in that like she feels, she feels so put upon. She feels so miserable to her. This is not like a punishment. This is not a misery. This is freedom from, from the misery. I don't and think I, so. I don't know. The movie ends with her smiling. She also openly weeps when she kills a stranger and she tries to convince herself and Hess that he's not dead. Yeah, well, I figured that was probably why she was smiling at the end, that she's like, see, he's not dead. But, uh, or maybe she was like, I'm, now I'm going to kill him and keep him the way Hess can. I, I'm not sure. I mean, I think that's supposed to be pretty open-ended. Yeah. But I was like, but oh, that's this the is whole, a- That's the thing, though. Like, she doesn't, as, as gorgeous as she is as wonderful as her performance is as much as i enjoyed watching her on screen i don't think that story-wise she adds very much to the story like i don't care what happens to her i think she just kind of helps the story along like with the plot i don't think she's see i I thought she was a huge detour i thought that for me, the contrast between their two experiences was really important with regard to their their gender. That uh, you know, I'm look at look at the way Hess is living before he's turned man. Like he's a highly respected academic. His son is, I guess, at boarding school learning French. I don't I don't know where the son was the rest. Of, I don't know where the son was the rest of the time. But you know, like he's he has servants. He lives in this mansion. He's he may be the only black dude on the block, but he was the black dude that could afford to buy that house on that block, you know? And so when he, when he receives this, when he receives the vampirism, his experience is a curse. And Ganja is not in that, she's not experiencing that degree of like power or agency or 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 comfort or anything so for her the same set of circumstances can present a kind of freedom that she wouldn't have had otherwise whereas for Hess it's actually a a problem that he wouldn't have had otherwise um not that she wants to go killing just that like now she's also immortal which is pretty dope and even that kind of does it ever say that they are I, well, considering that there have to be special instructions for how to kill them, I thought there were. I thought they were. And also, I think it's sort of implied that there is a way out, but unless they take that out, they can keep going. Because when he was stabbed by the thing, and he had no marks on him. Oh, yeah, yeah. So they must be, what do they call it when you... They can regenerate, or they can heal, or they can... Like, I guess not impervious. Like, he noticed that that dude was hitting him in the apartment. <laughs> like, yeah, he can right. still, like, feel pain or be uncomfortable or whatever. Also, the worst part is that they're cold all the time. I was like, oh, no, I don't like that. On that topic, also, Mary Kay, you brought it up when she was like, yeah, and she was, like, the 
dead guy and she was seeing him as still alive. I think maybe he was, but he was He still, was. And he he came out like his chest was going up and down. She wasn't she was right. But then he's but, just running full on naked dick swinging through the yard over yeah. over Archie? Who killed Archie? Why did this I know. happen? Why is she so fucking rude to him? The, why is she flex. so rude to him? Again, you know, remember in the office when Jim is like, it's so sad, this is the smallest amount of power that's ever gone to someone's head? Mm-hmm. That's kind of how I felt during that scene. I was like, oh my God, you slept with one rich man in your life and now you're being a dick to his servants. Chill okay, out. but she was kind of, okay, I know that earlier we said, well, he like hung up on her, so maybe that's where that her attitude came from. But honestly, she was like, listen, I don't have enough money for a decent hotel, but your driver, he'll be able to know who I am because I look valuable. Like, she just, like, made these, like, kind of, like, demands when she has literally nothing. And she says, I can't afford a decent hotel, so let me stay with you. And she was super rude about it. And then when she gets out of the car, she mistakes him for being a worker. And so she's so rude to him. He goes, like, no... No, and then I am Dr. Green. <laughs> yeah, and then she even like has this long, awkward moment. And she kind of laughs at herself and changes her attitude. That's just who she is. She's just, she just is a bitch. Well, you know, I mean, Jane Toppin didn't get love. She went murdering. This chick didn't get love. She went murdering. You know, like we know how to make our monsters. I know. Just withhold love. From a, a capable woman, and oh my god, I was right earlier when I said that it, that that documentary made it sound like if we don't get the love we want, we just go killing. Like it's true, it's right, true. But Everyone, the, you've been warned. Give us what we want all the time. Warned. But the thing is, is that if you've been treated really shitty, I understand. Like you put it in context, but there's no reason to ever be shitty to someone who works in the service industry. None. No. None. Zero. No. No, I don't. I can't condone that kind of behavior from anybody, least of all Ganja. Even if I think I found her to be a more interesting character than it sounds like you guys did. I thought she was. I just she was all she her was clothes. Her clothes oh, were amazing. Oh, speaking of which, I made a note to bring it up because, again, like with the the whole garter thing i don't know what it's called when she came in after she changed that is very like uh, like the um, flowy caftan dress yeah and it was it was mm. very like how do i say i don't say popular but i see it in a lot of like tv and movies from this time what mm-hmm. is that called is caftan the right i thought so but i could be wrong because i i i don't know you gotta post a post a picture of it to Instagram, Rachel, so that we're okay. all on the same page about the outfit. Yeah. Okay. And that'll then, that'll help. Also, I feel like the outfits that they did wear was very telling. And even to when they were naked, I feel like even the nakedness was a costume. Yeah. I yeah. in so many movies, like someone gets naked. And it's not that I'm uncomfortable with naked bodies or don't like to look at them. I mean, come on. It's more so like, 
I'm not stupid. And if you are only having people get naked because you think I like to look at it, then I feel annoyed and insulted and I don't want you to be doing this. Right. And I just never felt that way right. at any point here about the new, like when people were naked, they were supposed to be naked. Right. And when and we it, were talking about the religious aspect, one thing, especially when he was turning her, I really felt like the nakedness was sort of like an homage to the garden. I felt like whenever they were naked, they were back in the garden. Even yeah. even in the very beginning with George, when he was losing his mind, because sometimes like the closest that we can be to infinity or like you see in sometimes in literature people who are completely out of their minds Mm -hmm. and then when they are having this vampiric experience of you know they're taking life and drinking drinking of the blood and i feel like that's their other way of returning to paradise in like this kind of dark twisted way right well especially you know in in many in many vampire stories right it's like there are there are plenty of vampires. You we, you just may not know all of them, but like you know, like someone turned you. And in this context, as far as they know, they're the only two in the entire world. Like they are the beginning, like just the two of them oh, are the beginning of something point. totally new, you know, because they weren't turned by a vampire. George just happened to pick up a problematic knife. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. George, I love how how beautifully simplified that was. He just happened to pick up a problematic knife. Can we can we talk a little bit about George? Because that's yes. Bill Gunn. That's the guy who wrote and directed this. That's Bill Gunn giving a performance that I could not look away from. But really just... quick, as like the introductory to this, I wrote it down because I loved it so much. He goes... Like, when he was accusing him of putting something in his drink, he's like, oh, I'm just getting the dead flies out. Is that okay? He goes, okay, I'm neurotic. And he goes, well, what does that mean, you're neurotic? He goes, that means it has nothing to do with you. (laughs) (laughs) There were... There are so many lines that are just like, oh, I need to tattoo that on myself somewhere. Like, I need that on my mug. I need to hang that above my desk in this movie. Just like, oh. Yeah, that's, that's like good. I was that telling works. you guys earlier how like a person at work had approached me when I was like clearly not having a good week and said, "Are you are you okay? You don't seem like yourself." And I really wish I had seen this before that, so I can be like, "Oh, I'm just neurotic." And if she were to say what, I'd be like, "Yeah, that just means it has nothing to do with you. <laughs> <laughs> it has nothing to do with you." Oh, Rachel turned into Tweety Bird. That's <laughs> so cute. I just want to note for a moment before I talk about Bill Gunn and George, this house is amazing. Mm. The yeah. bathroom is dope. It, it is. just has all of the 70s tile work and tub and fixtures, and I love it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I want to be dressed like Ganja in that house. Okay, so I learned some stuff about Bill Gunn from the podcast called I Saw What You Did. 
they have an episode about Ganja and Hess, but it, it doesn't really analyze the film itself the way that we did. It more so talks about the importance of the movie, like mm-hmm. the outs- outside of the actual film itself. Um, so if y'all want to listen to that, we're going to link to it in the show notes. It is the episode entitled Mid-Century Shitbox, which is amazing. Yeah, and and uh, I, I really enjoyed listening to them talk about this, so I'm just going to kind of skim what they said, and if you want to know more about it in detail, you can listen to their episode. We said earlier that the reviews were largely negative about this film when it was released. Now, of course, after film preservation efforts and the fact that it just kind of turned up again, it, it has been preserved and we're able to watch it now and respect it for you know the genius that it is and bill gunn knew that and he wrote a letter i think i can't remember which newspaper it is at the time but one of the reviews just panned his work like you said earlier mary and he wrote to the editor saying your white reviewers are condemning black cinema and they need to know what how big of a deal that is that they're doing that so he was like way before his time saying all of the shit that we continuously say again on this show mm-hmm. years and years later. And um, I just, I thought that was cool that he, number one, thought that, number two, wrote it, and mm-hmm. number three, like we get to know about it now and acknowledge it and respect it so far later because he was so ahead of his time, like this movie. I also think his character was more interesting than any of the others because just like something was making him unnerved and he was like hanging out in the rafters when he was drunk in the barn next to a noose for to what? Oh no, he was definitely going, like he said, like, well, I didn't want to drown myself because I'm terrified of drowning. Right. And Hess is like, well, thank goodness you're, and he, I try not to involve you. So thank goodness your manners outweighed your, 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 your fears because yeah no he's definitely also what a bizarre and beautiful and strange choice in that shot that all you can see are george george's legs swinging like a little kid yeah while he's talking about about how he was about how he was making plans to kill himself and and couldn't quite figure it out yeah Mm -hmm. but also legs swinging like not to make it like that dark but it was i thought he was going to do yeah, yeah that, but that like was, that was, but he was too drunk to like get his shit together. But like, look if you look at that shot, you get the legs swinging, mm-hmm. which I took it in a very dark way, and then you see the, the noose, news. and then you see like a different man's head, and it's just like this whole image just mm-hmm. pixelated in a different. It's, Pica- it's very Picassoed, right? Like yeah, um, yeah. It's that shot. There's a lot of, uh, like you said, unconventional framing. And, and that's the, one of the best ones. Another one that mm-hmm. I remembered is the reflection in the car door when the reverend opens the door for Dr. Green because he's mm-hmm. his driver. Also, yeah. I love the frame story of the reverend being like, oh, he's not evil. He has an addiction. Like, yeah. I, I loved that that was framed. It was a little long for me. Like, I mean, 
y'all know how I feel about this movie and you you know what I think so I don't need to continue to give mm. you my opinion <laughs> maybe some insight but not necessarily opinion I also okay so when the girl the couple who jumps him the girl mm-hmm. right who has the blonde wig in the beginning mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. she's gesturing to him and she has her clutch up in front of the camera mm-hmm. so you can't it, see her face or anything mm-hmm. it's like you can her. just see Hess yeah yeah. But she's holding her bag up. It mm. reminded me, uh, Mary, of the time that I picked you up from the airport in Atlanta and we went through the drive through at like Popeyes or something. And there was a woman with her whole arm outside the window while she was ordering at the drive through, gesturing with her long painted fingernails and we couldn't hear anything but i remember both of us being like oh my gosh what is she ordering i want that shit do you remember that yes i remember because i'm pretty sure we we like went to the drive-thru and my card didn't work because i forgot to tell my bank i was going to atlanta oh no i don't remember that part (laughs) but uh, I did. I did really like those kinds of shots. Really stood out, and I think mm-hmm. that they're very cool. I mean, not, oh, yeah. not stood out in like a a way that they shouldn't have, but like no, they're, no, they're, they're, they're novel. Yeah, they're powerful. Uh, mm-hmm. It's like uh, another one is uh, when Ganja is talking about her her dancer friend with his weed condom. Um, so the camera is situated such that she like ducks in and out of frame yeah. a lot. <laughs> right. Like you can't see her whole face the whole time. And it's really interesting because it kind of has this effect of like as if you were sitting there. It's very conversational. Like if I'm sitting there talking to you, I don't like have a magical ability to see your face no matter where you, what you're doing. Right. Like if you looked down, I wouldn't be able to see your face. If you turned your head, like I wouldn't always be able to see your whole face. And be- between the like proximity, like the, it's a pretty tight shot. And that kind of just slightly off angle, it kind of feels like you're like sitting there with these characters, like having mm-hmm. these very like intimate and reflective conversations it's very cool yeah speaking of intimate and reflective the sex scene well there are several right and they're so all many. good they're all juicy but the juiciest most reflective one is with the young guy who come the um the guy who works at the recreational center with the afro Mm. And she's seducing him and we just get a whole ass juicy butt cheek right in the foreground and it is red and it is glittery and that is how sex should be all of I'm, the time just feel glitter. like that's yeah it's just like blood but like sparkle yeah so while that was happening right we get like this sexy like sinewy sort of motion and the soundtrack is just ding ding like arrhythmic like that and as i was watching it chase goes they keep getting text messages. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I it's I love the loved... sexiest scene, and he was like, "Whose phone is going off?" <laughs> I really loved the sound. So after she tells this like horrible and like heartbreaking story about how her own mother did not love her, right? Mm-hmm. It immediately jumps to them like having a pillow fight. With this like really upbeat like party music, and I was like, "What?" And that and that and Third that music. Well, that music carries over into like their wedding scene, and I was like, "What?" Yeah. <laughs> like it's just such a. But I thought that's a, I think music often in this in the context of this movie helps um, helps to create that effect of like how much time has even passed. Like it obfuscates the the timeline in a way that makes the whole experience feel a little bit fever dreamy. Or, or 
disorienting as if you're kind of experiencing that the disorientation of like the transformation of the addiction alongside them, which is really cool. Yeah. I, I mean, we've already been talking about this movie for a billion years. That's not true for like an hour. I think at this point, the only thing I just, I, I need to share with you guys is that I have never thought French sounded any better or worse than any other language. It was just a language, but apparently that's because I never heard Dwayne Jones speak French. Oh, hot damn. I know it. Mm-hmm. Also, can we talk about how all of these sex scenes were real sexy? Like, great angles, just like, mm-hmm. from the from the top, from the heads, but laying down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like yeah, this. like. <laughs> yeah. Except for when she puts that guy's fucking fangle toe on her fucking face what (laughs) bitch do not put his dirty toe on your face ew Uh. but in the same at the same time look don't kink shame at the same time it wasn't in her mouth it was on her face she just wants toes on her face again don't kink shame we don't know can you okay all right okay (laughs) i'll let the glitter you can have the toes okay just joking perfect okay so another thing about the sex scenes is that I didn't find them to be, how do I say it? I don't want to say I didn't find them to be sexy because they were. I didn't find them to be, you mentioned it, I think, earlier, that when you see something that's like, or Mary, you mentioned it earlier, when you yeah. see something where you're like, I feel like you're trying to sell me something and I yeah, feel... It's just there to be titillating. It's just mm-hmm. there to be like, I don't want like raw. I don't know the word to use where it's just like, oh, you're just trying to make me like horny. This yeah, like how HBO requires nudity in their shit. Yeah, but this like goes beyond that in the way that this whole movie, and I I would think that it's even more so than the movie Hunger. I think this movie is so sensual. Mm-hmm. Every. Almost every detail, even the toes on the face, I think every detail in this movie is so incredibly sensual that it goes even beyond just sex. It's like, I was watching this thinking, I have never seen lovers in love. Like, I didn't even really believe in their relationship outside of the bedroom. It was like, I've never seen in film or media, like, somebody holding each other, like, in embracing, like, as they're, like, about to do the deed in this way, that mm-hmm. it's, it just, it just was so, I just thought it was so beautiful. Yeah. Like, goddamn, where's my love like that? <laughs> I know. <laughs> Gotta get you some glitter. <laughs> I need to get that, that flowing house coat you need, a, you, need a, you need a caftan. Imagine well, you if you have had a glittery one of those with a skeleton on it. You do. Imagine if you had a glittery caftan. Oh shit! It'll be over for you, hoes. <laughs> it's almost it's almost too sexy. Like I think that then would become like just titillating. Mm-hmm. Like you gotta pick. We would choose. say like, chase who. You could have. <laughs> no, you could I have. Never <laughs> you could have I'm glitter. You could have glitter. You can have caftans, but you can't have mm-hmm. both. And one more thing that I want to say, 
about in one of these sex scenes and like the sensuality but the one thing that's like it was kind of like the toe on the face for me where I was like I was kind of like kind of pulled me out and I was kind of like kind of laughing at it was like <laughs> her with, with the, the other young man that she seduces the nipple play oh <laughs> she just like went like that for like a good <laughs> Listeners, Rachel just reached toward her camera and did wax on with her whole yep. hand. <laughs> yep, that's exactly what happened. I feel like that's a good place to shut it down. <laughs> Wait, one more thing. One more thing that I thought about this movie was mm. last thing, last thing, when he was doing his whole suicide. Yes. And then Thank she- you. We didn't talk about that. The note. Yeah. That are you talking about are you talking about George or are you talking about Hess? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm talking about Hess. Got My it. Bad. Um I mean they're both suicides. But when and, uh, this should this shouldn't lead on a on a on a funny note, but when he died when he was in the process of doing this and she was like staring up at that cross. And I'm thinking, oh, is she thinking about doing the same thing? And why in my dark-ass head did I go straight to the movie Heathers? Remember they did mm-hmm. that song, like, Teenage Suicide, Don't Do It. And I'm thinking my my head, like, Vampire Suicide, Don't Do It. Yep. I mean, yeah, I feel like she was like, I mean, I see how you got there, but it's not me. <laughs> like, I'm good. My new boyfriend's going to be out of the pool any minute. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. So, Mary Kay, what's up next? (laughs) Up next, we are discussing the 1997 film Eve's Bayou, starring my celebrity bridesmaid, Samuel L. Jackson, and Journey Smollett. You might also recognize Lynn Whitfield and Megan Good. It's set in a prosperous Creole American community in Louisiana in the 1960s, which in Hollywood translates to black witchcraft. Oh, I, I really fucked up your drum roll. I'm so sorry. It's okay. I'm not mad at you. But we will next week also be joined, or not next week, in two weeks, be joined by writer and blogger Brianna Bells, who wrote the Variety article about how Hollywood has failed actual black witches. So there's a lot to look forward to. Um, You can stream Eve's Bayou on Hulu now, and we will talk to you in a couple weeks. Can I I close on uh, my favorite quote from the movie? Yeah. All right, guys. In the immortal words of Ganja, because she is immortal. Everybody's some kind of freak. Everybody I know is into something. You're into horror movies. I can dig it. Yay! (laughs) All right. Love you guys. Bye. Love you. Bye. Hi, I'm Michelle Veray. And I'm Kimberly Trung, and we are the host of Crush Fictionally, a podcast all about your favorite fictional characters from movies, TV shows, and more. Each episode, we pick a theme, curate a list of characters that we love, why we love them, and some fun facts about the people who created them. 
So if you've ever felt a true connection with a fictional character, tune in to Crush Fictionally on Campfire Media or wherever you find your podcast. Campfire. <laughs>